Hello and welcome back to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast. I'm your host, Harry Simiou, and this show is sponsored by The Last Man Standing with Loserpool. It's a fantastic new betting game that you can get involved in. And at the moment, they're running a fantastic promotion where you can play for free for your chance to win £1,000 in cash. It's a great game. Check it out. Head over to www.loserpool.com and check it out. And make sure you sign up. You'd be silly not to. It's, in effect, free money. Why not? Have a go. to start this week's show without paying tribute to uh, the late and the great David Rocastle, an Arsenal legend, someone who was held uh, very dearly in the, the hearts of Arsenal fans all over the world. And whilst I didn't have the pleasure of seeing David Rocastle play for Arsenal, um, just from videos I've seen and from speaking to relatives and friends, they were a little bit older than me that did get to see David Rocastle play. You can see the impact that this guy had on this football club and how the fans absolutely love and adored him. And I just wanted to pay tribute to the great man himself who sadly passed away um, on the 31st of March back in 2001. So um, this is the latest show since, uh, you know, the anniversary of it. So uh, I felt it was worth a mention and I'm sure you guys will agree. Uh, and I'd like to hear from you guys, you know, what were your favourite David Rocastle memories? Tweet us at Chronicles uh, underscore AFC. I'm always intrigued to hear stories about players that I didn't get to watch Um but one thing that is abundantly clear to me is how important this guy is in Arsenal's history and how important and, and how loved uh, he is by by the fans, you know. So, um, yeah, just wanted to pay tribute to the late and great David Rocastle and, uh, you know, our thoughts are with his family and friends at this difficult time. Now on to Monday night's victory over Newcastle United, a victory that was enough to see Arsenal leapfrog Manchester United and Tottenham and take third place in the Premier League, for the time being at least, until they play on uh, Tuesday and Wednesday nights respectively. So, um, start off with with the initial team selection. It was a little bit of a strange one, in my opinion. Um, you know, we'd expected Granit Xhaka to feature um given that we were told he was okay. Um, I expected Lauren Koscielny to feature too, but none of them did. Um, I thought that maybe Denis Suarez would get a start, but he didn't. Um, I know a lot of you disagreed with me on that and felt that he, you know, he wouldn't and fair play to you. You were absolutely right. I just feel like with the run of games that Arsenal have coming up and, and, you know, the heavy nature of our fixture schedule, it would have been worth, um, trying to get him in, involved a little bit more and embed him because we're going to need to call on everybody over this very difficult period that we have coming up. Um, but the team was as follows. Leno in goal, a back three of Mustafi, Socrates and Monreal with Kalasinac and Maitland-Niles operating as the wing backs. It was a midfield of Aaron Ramsey and Matteo Genduzzi with Ozil, Iwobi and Lacazette rounding off the 11. Um, I thought that the performance, uh, to be honest, in the first half an hour or so wasn't great but 
I'm not being critical of Arsenal when I say that. I, I expected it to be very difficult, very tough. I've done a couple of commentaries on Newcastle United this season. I don't know if that's a good or bad thing. Um, but both of them, incidentally, were away games against London clubs. It was their defeat at Stamford Bridge and their defeat at the London Stadium. And despite the fact that that Newcastle United went on to lose both of those games, you could see that this team are very well drilled, very well organised, very hard to beat. And in Rafa Benitez's mind, it's all about the goal difference, isn't it? I think he's a manager who places a huge emphasis on that, and rightly so, because if you are scraping for your lives come the end of the season, it acts effectively as an extra point. And one thing you can't say about Rafa Benitez's side is that they go to these big away grounds and get humiliated. They don't. That just simply doesn't happen. Their attitude is kind of, let's go there. Let's be defensive. Let's try and stay in the game for as long as possible. And, you know, if we get anything, it's a bonus. But it's about not getting absolutely battered. And to Rafa Benitez's credit, you can't really knock his approach because Newcastle in my opinion, have had a championship squad now for two years. And this is going to be the second season consecutively that he's going to keep them away from the drop and with some room to spare as well. So, um, you know, fair praise to, to Rafa Benitez because he deserves it. But Newcastle were never going to make it easy for us. They're a physical side, uh, particularly their three centre-halves. And, and of course, they were missing Fabian Scher uh, through suspension on Monday night too. So, uh, you know, he's another physical player. But Mo Diame come in the midfield for Longstaff, who's another player who's impressed of late. Um, but I think the difference between Newcastle at the start of the season and perhaps in the second half has been that the introduction of Miguel Almiron uh, and the upturn in form from Iosi Perez has meant that those two in particular get a lot closer to Salman Rond on the target man. And, and as a result, Newcastle are a little bit more effective in the final third. We didn't see that on Monday night, but overall, um, you know, it has been the case and I think Benitez uh, picks and chooses the games that he wants to go for and that he wants to put the most effort into and Harry De Cosimo our, our Newcastle fan and football journalist who joined me on the last week's show uh, all basically confirmed that to be honest it was a bit of a free hit for Newcastle but they did frustrate um, and you know when Aaron Ramsey had his goal ruled out the first one um, a lot of us in the stadium couldn't understand why. Um, having seen it again, it was a foul by Socrates. It might be a little bit harsh, um, but my issue is not that it wasn't a foul. It is a foul. My issue is that consistently those things don't get picked up. And so, you know, if we're consistent, then nobody's going to complain. But that consistency, as we've seen in the Premier League across the board of late, is, has been missing. So, uh, you know, that's a, another frustrating thing um, that we as Premier League fans at the moment have to contend with. I thought um, in the first half an hour, we didn't create a great deal. And I must admit, just before Aaron Ramsey did open the scoring for real, I was a little bit concerned. And I was saying to my mate next to me that, you know, this is going to be one of those long evenings, isn't it? But I'd expected that. I said it in, in you know, in the preview. I said it on Twitter that we'd have to be patient and we'd have to remain calm and make sure that we didn't give anything away at the other end. And that was the case. Um, Aaron Ramsey took his goal brilliantly and he continues to impress despite the fact that he's off in the summer and it's kind of making Arsenal maybe uh, look at themselves now and think have we made a mistake here certainly as fans um, I wasn't all that bothered when Aaron Ramsey announced that he was going um, but you know as time's gone on we've seen the value that this player brings to the team and 
despite all that's going on behind the scenes, he's remained professional. And for me, he deserves an immense amount of credit for that because that's not something you see often in the modern game. And players like Aaron Ramsey should be commended for that. Unfortunately, he went off um, in the second half with what looks like an injury. Hopefully it's not too bad because as I mentioned already, we're going to need everybody available going into this next run of games. It's going to be really, really tough. Second half started and of course, Newcastle United had to come out a little bit, didn't they? And that's, you know, them coming out of their comfort zone. That's not what they will have wanted to do. And as a result, I thought we were a little bit more dominant in the second half. Again, without creating a great deal of clear-cut chances, we controlled the game. Uh, completely. And I think that Mesut Ozil in particular, um, you know, was pulling the strings on Monday night. And I thought he did brilliantly. And it's nice to see that because he has taken a lot of stick from a lot of people. Um, And I know the haters will turn around and say, oh, but it was against Newcastle United, a lower half of the table team. And it doesn't really matter. He doesn't do it in the big games. But for me, Mesut Ozil is of huge importance to this football team. And, you know, the upturn in form, um, you know, since the Spurs game, if you like, is is has coincided with Mesut Ozil coming back into the picture and looking close uh, to his best again. So, um, of course, 2-0 in the end. It was Alex Lacazette that got the second, a delightful uh, link-up between him and, and Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang, a lovely flick on. And Lacazette had the presence of mind and the class and the composure to just lift it over Martin Dubravka and, and find the back of the net and... and essentially seal the game for Arsenal. So really, really pleased to see that. Always pleased for Lacazette when he scores because he's been probably my favourite player this season. He he cares about the cause and we've seen an intensity in his game that we didn't really see last season. I don't know if that's down to the boss. I don't know if that's Alexander Lacazette picking his pulling his socks up. Sorry, I don't know what it is, but there's been a huge, significant improvement in that. Um in terms of man of the match, a lot of people were talking to me on the way out of the stadium, friends and and people that I know asking me who my man of the match was. And quite a few of them were adamant that it was Matteo Genduzzi. And whilst I can see why you would give it to Matteo Genduzzi, for me, he wasn't the man of the match. And that's because, and I don't want it to sound like I'm always bashing Matteo Genduzzi, but I thought that for all the good things he'd done there were a lot of moments where he was dispossessed um, caught dwelling on the ball wayward passes so you know it was a 50-50 game for me on from Genduzi. I think physically he's brilliant he's all over the place he's everywhere and he's what you need in the middle of the park in that sense but I think at times he lacked the composure that's required to play that position he and he, he got caught on the ball a few times. And I just think that imagine that was Granite Xhaka getting caught in possession uh, in the centre circle, the reaction and the meltdown. And we give Genduzi more chances and more time, don't we? Because he's a young player and that's fair enough. But we need to look at the game at face value for what it is. And for me, whilst he had a decent game, Matej Genduzi was not the man of the match. And some of you would disagree with that. That's absolutely fine. Let me know who your man of the match was. Tweet me at Chronicles underscore AFC and we'll pick those up on the next podcast. Um, For me, you know, there were a few contenders though. Nacho Monreal I thought was brilliant. Didn't put a foot wrong defensively. I know Newcastle didn't do a great deal, but Nacho Monreal was solid as he has been for for quite some time now. I thought Ser Kolasinac was great on the left-hand side um, with his marauding runs up and down the touchline. The reason I wouldn't give it to him is because at times on Monday night, his product was lacking. Um, His end product, sorry, was lacking. And, 
You know, there were a few moments where he could have picked out players and he didn't and he just hesitated. And, you know, again, it was a brilliant performance from the man, but I can't give him the man of the match for that reason. For me, you know, Aaron Ramsey is a strong contender, but as is Mesut Ozil. So it's between those two for me and I can't quite decide. I think Sky Sports gave it to Mesut Ozil. I'm going to be inclined to agree with that just because I think, you know, he was dictating the play. He's ability to pop up in pockets, create space for others. And I'm a huge fan of Mesut Ozil, as you guys that listen to the show regularly will know. So for me, um, he just edges it over Aaron Ramsey and, and you know, Mesut Ozil's the man of the match. Lacazette is another one you could consider. But for me, uh, he was uh, my MOM uh, for the uh, victory on Monday night. So, of course, that victory takes us up into third place and that's brilliant. But, you know, for me, you know, all these celebrations about getting above Tottenham are a little bit premature. There's still a long way to go. We've got some very, very difficult away trips against sides that are capable of on their day producing good, solid performances. So it's not done and dusted yet. It's going to be very difficult. As I keep harping on about Arsenal need to make use of their squad, Arsenal need to be on it week to week. And we've got, of course, that crucial uh, Europa League tie against Napoli sandwiched in the middle of it as well, which isn't going to be easy at all. So, you know, there's a long way to go. But one thing I will stress is, as Arsenal fans, you know, we're singing it's happened again and, and this and that. And it's great to be back above Tottenham where we belong. But what I will say is Arsenal's objective is to finish in the Champions League positions. It's not to finish above Tottenham. You know, that's a bonus. And I think there's a danger of getting obsessed with finishing above Tottenham. You know, we talk about them being obsessed with us and they are. But for me, as the bigger club, as Arsenal Football Club, our objective this season is to get into the Champions League. And if we finish fourth and they finish third, so be it. As long as we've achieved our goals, I'll be pleased and I'll be happy with that. Um you know, there's been some discussions on, on Twitter and, and stuff about whether it would be a miracle if Arsenal finished in the top four this season. I don't think it would be a miracle. Uh, and the reason I don't think it would be a miracle is because Arsene Wenger was relieved of his position because we were underachieving. So now we're achieving what we need to be. We're not overachieving, if that makes sense. Um, you know, we've got two. Uh, if you look at the top five strikers in the Premier League, we've got two of them at our disposal. So, you know, we should be able to score goals against teams. We've got Mesut Ozil, we've got Aaron Ramsey. Uh, you know, we've got a very good goalkeeper now in Burned Leno. He started off a little bit suspect, but he's improved. He's been brilliant. Socrates has been good. Kolasinac is probably, uh, you know, if not the best, one of the best wing backs in, in the division. So there's lots of positives at Arsenal. And so that's why I'd say finishing in the top four is not a miracle. It's achieving what we're supposed to be achieving. And if it wasn't, then Arsene Wenger wouldn't have been relieved of his position. So, you know, that's that's really important to take into account when we're assessing how things have gone, in my view. Let me know what you think. Is it a miracle that Arsenal are in the top four at the moment? I don't think it is. You might have a different opinion. If you do, tweet me at Chronicles underscore AFC. Now, as part of our efforts to increase our coverage of the football club that we all love and improve our content and produce more of it, we're going to be focusing a little bit more now on the Arsenal under 23s and the academy sides and how they're doing. So our man, Mike Stavrou, had the pleasure uh, of attending the Arsenal under 23s fixture on Friday, and he's prepared a fantastic report for us, uh, giving us some insight on some of those young players and how that game went. Here it is. 
Tyrese John Jules, the name on every Arsenal fan's lips. He, of course, was the breakout star in Arsenal's controversial friendly against Al Nasser in Dubai. And again, the main man as Arsenal's under-23s beat West Ham 1-0 here at Meadow Park in Boreham Wood. His first half strike proved to be the difference in a classic centre-forward display from the nephew of actor Danny John Jules, who was the star in Red Dwarf. But let me tell you, John Jules is certainly not a dwarf himself, a big, powerful striker who packs a punch. Highly rated Hammers defender Ben Johnson almost went on to score the equaliser in stoppage time, but for a last-ditch block by Arsenal defender Ben Sheep. Chances were few and far between in the first half, and 18-year-old Tyrese John Jules thought he had scored from Bakayo Saka's cross, but the goals ruled out for offside. Saka, who is one of the most highly rated academy stars, was quiet on the night, but you can certainly see his raw talent in flashes. John Jules then missed the gilt-edged chance from a corner, heading painfully wide from just a few yards out. Arsenal struggled to contain West Ham's Nathan Holland, the best player on the pitch in the first half, especially testing Gunners right-back Geordie Ossie Tutu, who looked a bit out of sorts defensively, but a power force going forward. Arsenal eventually took the lead just before the half-time whistle as Tyrese John Jules was gifted with his fourth Premier League two goal of the season after a defensive mix-up from the Hammers. The big forward capitalised on a wayward pass from West Ham's number nine Sean Adarqua and grabbed the ball and smashed it in off the near post and pass keeper Joseph Anang. Winger Xavier Amechi was the standout player from an attacking standpoint for the young gunners. Every time he collected the ball on the right-hand side he had one thing in mind and that was the run of the West Ham defence. Although his final ball could be wayward, the dribbling and approach play from the England under-17 international was impressive. The crowd thought Amechi had put Arsenal 2-0 up, but his free kick rippled the side netting. And it certainly would have been two, but for Hammers keeper Joseph Anang, who sprang up acrobatically to keep out Joe Willock's goal-bound effort from just two yards out. Willock, who was a mainstay in the first team's Europa League group stage this season, with 15 senior appearances in the last two for the Guns, one of the most experienced academy prospects. Unfortunately, an absence of defensive now trickles down from the first team to the academy. Arsenal often played a high line, getting caught with West Ham's attackers running in behind. Danny Ballard and Ben Sheaf, the centre-backs, were competent on the ball and tough in the tackle, but still clearly quite raw. This certainly isn't an excuse for Arsenal's apathetic owner, Stan Kroenke, to say, you know what, I don't need to invest after looking at the academy. They should be used in tandem with new signers embedded into the team slowly rather than building up the hype, adding excess pressure. Their talents, not the end product, but it's clear to see the future is looking brighter for Arsenal. Brilliant work there from Mike, of course, uh, a producer at TalkSport and at Love Sport Radio and a, a young football journalist uh, who is part of the team now. Uh, so if you don't already follow Mike, you can find his Twitter handle in the description. So do check him out. There'll be plenty more of that to come. And let us know what you think of the feature. Um, is it something that you, you want to hear on a regular basis? Because at the end of the day, this show is for you guys, the fans. So thank you very much uh, for listening, of course. And uh, let us know what you think on that. Now, another new story coming out of the club uh, that I read on askblog.com, actually. I think that was the first place I saw it. So credit to them uh, for uncovering the story and, and bringing it to the attention of the wider public uh, is in regards to Arsenal's club motto, uh, Vin- Victoria. Oh, got my words mixed up there. Victoria Concordia Crescent. That's it. Uh, Latin was never my strong point. Uh, but it means victory through harmony. And that's been Arsenal's motto for years and years and years, um, for as long as I've known the club and and way before that. Uh, so KSE, Stan Kroenke's uh, business, Kroenke Sports Enterprises, I think it stands for, are looking to change that. They think it's out of date. Um, they want to do something that's more uh, up to date and, and helps them in the branding of the club. Now, 
It depends what your viewpoint is on this. You know, some would say that it's an improvement and you want to make the club more marketable and the club will make more money as a result. But for me, to rip up a motto that's been there for so, so many years is an absolute disgrace. And I don't want to see that happen. Um, I want it to stay the way it is, even if it is a little bit of a contradictory statement, victory through harmony, and then your logo is a cannon. Uh, it doesn't really add up. But nevertheless, you know, it, that's what I know Arsenal as. That's what I know our motto as. And I don't want to hear that changed. KSC are proposing that they're going to put a vote out to the fans with five uh, different alternatives from which we can vote and have our favourite. But I'm not sure that this is right and I don't want to see it. And, you know, we've seen it at other clubs. We've seen Cardiff temporarily change their shirts to red because their owner felt that in in the Far East where he's from, that people would be more interested in them if they wore red because the colour symbolises good luck. Didn't really work. They've gone back to blue. Uh, whole tried to change theirs to whole Tigers rather than whole City. Again, didn't really work and the fans were in uproar. So I think that there's a, a real deep tradition uh, that's associated with English football and, and it's not an American NFL team and that's no disrespect for, to them but the way they've been set up they've been set up as franchises as brands we're talking about historical football clubs here that have been around for hundreds of uh, over 100 years so you don't want to see that happen I don't want to see that happen but again let me know your thoughts do you uh, do you want to see it changed are you happy for it to be changed do you have anything in mind that is more suitable let us know tweet us at chronicles underscore afc and just before we wrap up slightly shorter edition uh, again of course because of the the monday night game meaning that we're releasing later in the week um, and we are going to still be releasing a show on thursday morning we'll be looking ahead of course to the uh, Everton game on Sunday and I'll be joined by a man who played for both sides so who better to preview that fixture with me than Kevin Campbell himself former Arsenal and Everton striker so we'll be hearing from Kevin uh, on that one on Thursday so stay tuned for that and a quick reminder to those of you who haven't yet entered our competition we've got two Arsenal singing scarves up for grabs courtesy of the 12thmen.com all you need to do is go over to our Twitter page at chronicles underscore AFC retweet the pin tweet uh, and subscribe to us on YouTube once you've done that uh, you will be in with a shout of winning this fantastic prize there are two up for grabs and be sure to follow the 12th men too they've got lots of great things coming your way so as i said we'll be back on thursday morning um 10 a.m normal release time uh, that's uk time of course so until then guys take care and enjoy being in third place for the time being anyway uh, take care of yourselves guys <laughs>